Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. So, welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and today we are burning phone lines to Boston, Massachusetts, uh, with none other than Ryan Lee Crosby. I have a lot to discover about him. I've been told quite a bit. And so, just for starters, man, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, where you were born and raised, and uh, let's just go from there. Okay, sure. Um, well, I was born. Uh, I was born in in Maryland, uh, in Silver Spring, Maryland, um, and I lived uh, for about ten, eleven years in uh, Virginia as a kid, and then <clears throat> my family moved to New England, 
Uh, and I've been in been in New England ever since. Um, I still have some family down in uh, in D.C. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up there, and uh, my family wasn't originally from that area. Um, my father's family was from uh, New York, and my mom was from Los Angeles. And then they ended up uh, meeting in in uh, D.C. And uh, they both worked in D.C. And so I I grew up there uh, for the first 10 or 11 years of my life. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. just a little bit about growing up and, and not to tell too much. But I understand that uh, you're, you're a fairly accomplished musician. And um, to my knowledge, you're actually trying to put on paper what Jimmy Doug does with the Bentonia style blues. And so... Um, not to get too far ahead, but how did music become a part of your life? Uh, well, you know, I always liked music uh, ever since I was a kid, but, you know, the way I, I kind of frame it, um, I remember just sort of by coincidence, probably when I was maybe six or seven, uh, hearing both uh, John Lee Hooker and the Ramones kind of in fairly close succession. And I feel like that kind of, uh, that kind of set the tone for my whole musical life, uh, since then. Um, because I, I feel like, uh, my foundation in a lot of ways is kind of like, I sort of feel like I have a, like a foundation and a background in, in punk rock and sort of kind of, came up in that context, but I always liked blues. Uh, and it was, it was really blues that made me want to learn to play music, uh, probably when I was about 13. What, what, uh, what do you, what do you say about that? Uh, cause sometimes I tell people that, uh, punk rock is just blues and fast forward. And the major difference yeah. I would say between blues and punk is the blues is slowed down and it requires a lot of feel while uh punk is sped up and it requires a ton of emotion yeah i like the yeah feel and emotion can be yeah two different two different things um and uh i heard i heard you know in your your interview with uh Robert Connolly Farr, I heard, I heard you guys talking about blues and punk. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I think, uh, I feel like I try to consider music from, from different angles and from this week in particular, I've been thinking about how you can sort of consider music from four different angles of, uh, technical, emotional, spiritual and, and cultural yes and um yeah and so i feel like you know my way of thinking about this and sort of hold, holding space for them i mean yeah growing up i remember thinking that I, I remember in college uh putting on a john lee hooker record right kind of after a velvet underground record and feeling like there was kind of a kinship there somehow that I didn't quite understand. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, I think bands like maybe like, 
the Sex Pistols had a certain sort of early rock and roll influence or, you know, but I think when I heard, um, my first introduction to Arl Burnside was, uh, <coughs> in a clip that Alan, Alan Lomax shot of him playing in the seventies. He was playing see my jumper on the line and he's just playing in like, you know, the yard. And yeah. I was so moved by that. Uh, I wasn't sure that was kind of the first time I heard him. And I thought, oh, I got to get one of his records. And so I just happened upon uh, probably the one that introduced a lot of people to him, the record he made with John Spencer. Um, and I appreciated hearing there that it seemed like there was like a blues and punk rock kind of connection there. And then from there, kind of branching outward towards, you know, Junior Kimbrough, Robert Belfort, um, you know, just a lot of the classic Fat Possum albums and f recognizing that those those albums just they just sounded like punk rock to me um and it just it just seemed to me like a natural thing but the, but the way i think about it also if if you think um sort of like what the functions of the music different styles of music are like they are you know sort of like uh raw immediate communal approaches to playing music that bring people together and have a a certain sort of accessibility to them. Mm -hmm. um, at least that's been, been my experience. And uh, so, you know, like the first 10 years or so that I was playing music in front of people, a lot of it was in kind of like a, a punk rock context. And when I started visiting Mississippi, I felt like there was, uh, there was something there to me that seemed very unique and specific to Mississippi and to the South, but also kind of felt familiar to the part of me that like, had played, you know, punk rock shows in, in Boston and New York and Providence and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to capture that is, um, as you were growing up, um, and you were getting into music, what was your, uh, first instrument? Because I'm no stranger to you. I know that you have a, a sitar and you have many different instruments and, um, I, I believe that you are the first person who is trying to put what Jimmy Duck Holmes does on paper, that Bentonio style. And we'll get to that in a bit. But uh, just growing up, like, what were your first instruments? And, like, um, tell me about um, playing out in that Boston boston area and the new england area my first instrument was uh, the harmonica and i wanted to um i wanted to sing and play blues harmonica yeah i didn't start playing guitar until probably a year year or so later maybe i mean my brothers played guitar i had an older brother who played guitar and uh my younger brother did too mm -hmm. um and so i, I just kind of felt like you know, they, they were doing that and like I was more interested in trying to, you know, sort of write songs and I just loved the sound of the harp and um, tried to collaborate with them, with my brothers a bit. And uh, and then, yeah, there was, uh, there was a shop that opened up down the street from us and they had, you know, like a Fender Telecaster hanging in the window. And um, I just remember going in and trying to play, trying to play the, the Fenders and just feeling like, suddenly like i kind of got the call to want to play guitar too okay yeah yeah and so uh how old were you then uh 14. 
Okay. And uh, you mentioned yeah. uh, punk rock, and so those early garage band days, you and the buddies in the garage, or I mean, what did that look like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was either in my garage or in my basement. Um, I think we started in the garage, and you know, the didn't go over too well in the neighborhood. So uh, we were playing in the basement soon after that, and. Um, yeah, pretty much right away, like, uh, all, all the things I was interested in was kind of there, just like, you know, writing songs and playing guitar, and, um, I was, I got into a recording, um, pretty much right off the bat, I had a four-track cassette recorder that my older brother gave me, and, um, I still use a four-track cassette recorder for a lot of stuff now, um, I just really like working with tape, and, um so yeah i was just doing that a lot and uh started playing in boston i guess about you know like 20 years ago and uh there were there were a lot of places to play and um a lot of things going on and uh for for rock music at least um you know there's there certainly wasn't wasn't a whole lot of blues around town um but uh, I had a friend here and a mentor, a guy named Ted Drozdowski, uh, and he he was he knew uh, he knew R.L. Burnside and Junior Kimbrough, and he was one of the first kind of writers covering the Fat Possum artists in the probably like the early '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I met Ted here. Ted lives in Nashville now, but uh, yeah, I met Ted, and he was just talking about those guys all the time. Um, and he, yeah, he sort of, you know, helped me start to uh, pursue an interest in, in blues more because he had a kind of like direct contact. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, walk that up uh, for me is um, you had this guy who knew these blues cats from Mississippi. Um, is that when you found out about the blue front cafe and, and uh, tell me and tell me about gilbert gilbert val how did he get involved uh well you know my meeting gilbert was really just through the, the magic of the internet um i was playing at the uh deep blues festival in clarksdale in 2018 mm-hmm. um and I think I think my friend Molly Jean posted a video of me playing, and I think Gilbert saw that, and he sent me a note. And um, part of the reason I was so excited to play the Deep Blues Fest, aside from just being really excited to be a part of the festival, was that I knew that Jimmy was playing, and I really wanted to meet Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had been, uh, I hadn't been to. Um, Mississippi in like four or five years. I think my first time down was in 2014, and I played. Um, I played in my friend Ted Drozdowski's band. He he had a set at the Juke Joint Festival, and so um, I went and played in his group, and I got to see Robert Belfort, and who was really like one of my big heroes. And um, you know, I just it shocked me that these you could see a musician like that who I thought was just like the greatest musician in the world and that you could 
you could I could just watch him ten feet away and then meet him afterwards and you know so that that really stuck with me and so in in 2018 when I went down uh, to Clarksdale again I really wanted to make sure I got to meet Jimmy um, because I had been very interested in the Bentonia style blues for uh, you know I first heard Skip James maybe ten ten years ago and it blew me away. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I didn't know about the Blue Front uh, until in 2014, but I, I knew about the Blue Front by then, and I uh, I started calling the Blue Front um, probably in 2014. I called him a couple times and tried to, you know, tell him, like, hey, uh, you know, I I just, just was down in Clarksdale and would love to come to the Blue Front. And, um, but nothing really came of it. I think I called him twice and, mm. uh, I think I sent him a CD I made. Um, and then, yeah, no, nothing came of it. Uh, I didn't get back to Mississippi for a while cause I was, um, I was, I was playing over in Europe a lot and I was trying to focus on that. And I, I just didn't know too many folks in Mississippi. And then, um, yeah, I went down to play in 2018 and then Gilbert, uh, saw that video of me playing and reached out to me and I, I didn't know that he knew Jimmy but he said um, you're going to come back to Mississippi you know we were just writing each other messages on the phone and that's right I said yeah I said I hope so what I really want to do is go to the Blue Front Cafe and try to meet Jimmy Doc Holmes mm-hmm. and um, and yeah I had no idea that Gilbert you know was part of the family over there right. I just thought he, he was someone who had seen me play and was being nice. Um, and then, so I kind of got to, uh, you know, get to go to Bentonia through Gilbert really. Yeah. Uh, it, you brought it up. I wanted that that's in my notes here is I wanted to ask you about, uh, touring and, mm. uh, I know that you, you spent some time overseas, uh, internationally, uh, Tell me a little bit about that and how it happened and what it meant. Well, um, it was something that sort of started slowly and then became something I did once or twice a year, uh, every year between 2013 and then you know, I didn't go this year, you know, um, I was supposed to go, (laughs) but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, what it really, I think what those doing all those shows over there really meant, um, was that it gave me the space to, um, I think to develop. And it was especially because I had, no, um, no, no real connection yet to being able to go to the South, um, in the U S going to, uh, going to Europe. I found that there was, there were a lot of people who really, uh, care about the blues a lot. And, um, so going and doing those tours gave me a chance to, I think just to develop as a musician and, um, as a songwriter and, and everything. And, um, yeah, I was doing like some Skip James songs and stuff like that as part of my repertoire, and yeah. um, I really 
felt that, you know, like the Bentonia, the Bentonia style, um, just felt to me like of all the, all the blues I had heard, that was just the one that I've, you know, I just felt like when I was singing and playing, I just felt it in my heart the most. And so, um, why do you think that is? Is is it the you fact know, that it the, is it the fact that it plays with the major and minor keys so much? Well, I think you, you know I I don't I don't know. Someone else might say otherwise, but I don't know if it plays with the major and minor more or less than other kinds of blues except for the fact that the guitar is tuned to uh the to a minor chord even though i think you know it's it seems to me and uh i heard you talking about this with Connolly too and i and and it it felt right to me and and jimmy has said something to me about this too it's like you know when the when you're playing the minor chord, your first finger is still on that first fret of the third string, kind of forming the major. Mm -hmm. So, like the dance between the major and minor, I think is is more overt and central to the Bentonia sound. But I feel like if you, um, my experience of listening to the music and what I what I found in playing, if you're playing other styles of blues, whether it's like you know, maybe like a Delta style or a North Mississippi style or Chicago style or, uh, I mean, you know, you could branch out further. Like, I feel like the, the guitar or the piano or whatever the main instrument is sort of, you know, it's, it's, uh, kind of presenting in a major tonality, but the singing or the lead playing, the amount of the major and minor is still really being, uh, played with sort of, yeah. And, and, so, you know, I've wondered about that, like with the Bentonia style. I mean, I think probably some of those kind of characteristic phrases uh, are, yeah, essentially more minor. But I feel like what I found watching Jimmy and trying to listen was that there was maybe perhaps more, more major tonality in it than I had previously expected mm -hmm. it's kind of an inconclusive answer but um i don't know i feel like uh i always liked music that had a haunting quality to it whether it was like yes. you know uh whether like in in you know like punk rock like whether it was joy division or you know um i mean or just like uh you know, Chopin's Nocturnes or whatever, like it does, it's any kind of style of music, you know, um, but what I always kind of lean towards minor tonality, but for me, as a, as a fan of Jimmy and Skip James and Jack Owens and Cornelius Bright and the, the Bentonia style, part of what I love about it, um, is that it feels so personal and expressive, um, and I, I think that in a way also like kind of speaks to the punk rock, rock part of me too. Um, 
It does. There is just like a certain sort of free. Yeah. There's a freedom and a flow to it. And, uh, yeah, you could say like a haunting quality or a trance-like quality. Um, and, you know, for the part of me that has a little bit of experience studying um, Indian raga music, I feel like there's <laughs> overlap with uh, the Bentonia style and with uh, a, a lot of the great music out of North Mississippi, too, and that when you have music that's primarily focused on a single chord that creates um, a certain kind of feeling for both the musician and the listener, as opposed to music that has a lot of chord changes or a 12 bar blues or whatever. Yeah. You that's, get, that's you get right. into that one place. And, yeah. You get in that place and you stay there. Um, and when you stay in that place, it does things to your, uh, yeah, your heart and your mind and, and yeah. Yeah, I don't uh you know, I don't wanna get carried away with pairing uh the blues and punk so much. Although I do believe that uh the blues inspired country and inspired punk and inspired rock and roll. Uh you can't deny that, but uh, like when we're talking about like when we were growing up and when we find something like a Bentonia style, there's something about it that just says, yeah, that's that, that's what I was looking for. That, that's what I needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing... Uh, yeah, I mean, if, <coughs> certainly, yeah. Talking about the... Uh, the Bentonia blues, there's there's nothing else really that I know of that sounds like it. And I definitely remember um I remember where I was the first time I heard Skip James and it, it's just stopped me in my tracks. I mean, uh it was like waking up from a dream or something. It was really profound and um and um yeah, seeing and hearing Jenny play for the first time and being at the blue front for the first time and uh hearing him the first time I mean yeah I'll, I'll never forget that um, nothing else in the world sounds like it yeah uh, and so uh, just with your own songwriting as you've progressed and um, as you play out and, I, and we'll get into 2020 I want to spend some time with you there but uh, prior to 2020 uh, what has uh, learning the Bentonia style done for uh for you in the way that uh you write music hmm. well you know i feel that it's interesting i've thought a lot about you know i haven't gotten to spend anywhere near as much time with jimmy as i would like to like to have or or hope to and um some of that definitely got stalled by events of this year. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think I have thought a lot this year about what, uh, what I've learned from him thus far and how it's affected me. And, um, cause I had, I was very fortunate in that I had, uh, a really good teacher for a short time about 10 years ago, um, named Paul Rochelle, who's a, um, a really, 
you know, like a world-class fingerstyle blues musician uh, up here, and he's played. He was uh, managed by Dick Waterman at the time that Dick Waterman was managing John Hurt, and um, I think working with with Skip like in the '60s. So mm-hmm. uh, Paul spent Paul spent time with Sunhouse, and uh, you know a lot. Like he was so. I was lucky to learn a little bit about or a lot about the mechanics of some Skip James songs from Paul. When I got to the Blue Front and I got to uh, meet Jimmy and try to listen to him and uh, try to absorb what I could um, from his teaching, um, I found myself considering this year, not only that there's a lot in the way that he moves his fingers that I'm still trying to figure out, but I feel that Jimmy sets an incredible example um, in terms of how to be with music. Um, yeah, the, uh, the amount of feeling and presence that he brings to his music and, um, the depth is, uh, you know, something that I aspire to hope to achieve in, you know, decades from now, if I keep playing, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Can I give you an example? Is um, Sure. I sent over a song to Nick Wade last night. Mm. And um, it's, a, it's a very easy... Uh, you want to talk about uh, structurally with music. It's a very easy song. It's... Uh, there's only four chords present. And, um, you know, two in the verses and then three in the chorus. And... Um, but it, everything is a it's it's very easy. He was like, "Yeah, you you definitely could play the blues with that." But the the thing that uh, I told him after was, uh, "I want to write blues, and I want to be able to play the bentonia and pass it on and to preserve the uh, the history of it." But Every song I write is not going to be a blues, Bentonia-style song. I might write something that's Americana, or it might be a little punk rock, because I have these punk rock ideals in myself. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, I think that's the uh, best thing you can do when you're, you're playing or you're writing, is try to be true to yourself and uh and true to the people who inspire you that's right and that's that's kind of really all we can all we can do and it's i think it's good to celebrate the parts of ourselves that aren't you know like that you know that uh that we might be a little bit punk rock and a little bit americana and a little bit rock and roll and country and blues and like i mean uh yeah, the best thing a musician can be is is true to themselves and and true to what inspires them and yeah, that's that's what comes through. I well, think. I don't, you know, I don't want to get too lost in the mud. Um, I do want to talk about here are my notes. I have. I want you to tell me about, um, and you you've told me a little bit about it, uh, but what did it mean? to 
tour in the South in Mississippi, uh, New Orleans, and Memphis. And then tell me about playing that juke joint fest in Clarksdale. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, my first... My first time, well, uh, I suppose, you know, uh, my first time in Mississippi was in 2014. Um, and that was very, very eye opening and inspiring. Uh, why was that? Uh, was well, it, I got, was it like chasing ghosts for you or was it like, uh, what? you know, Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stones would do, it was like, let me get a little bit of this dirt in a jar. I mean, I think before I came down the first time, I was listening fairly obsessively to Robert Belfort's records, uh, to, to Junior Kimbrough or Earl Burnside. Um, and, and in a way, I felt like I was having like a rediscovery of... Of, of love for music um, and it was tied with an interest in getting beyond uh, what I sort of felt like was the culture around me in Boston and New England and um, I hadn't really been going to Europe too too much yet in 2014 so I don't know I mean I think I had been I had uh, I'd watched some of uh, Roger Stoley's movies about Mississippi. Um, I was trying to learn what I could. I was hearing stories from from my friend Ted Drozdowski and um, yeah, Paul Rochelle had encouraged me to, to, to go down. Um, and so I think seeing Robert Belfort, who was such an idol for me, Leo Bud Welch, um, saw Elsie Ulmer on that first trip uh, Elmo and Hezekiah. Uh, I mean, just being able to see some of these musicians so up close, I just wasn't used to that. Mm. Um, and the, and the beauty, the beauty of the land, uh, really struck me. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, I mean, so you know, I haven't been. I haven't been to some of the other surrounding states. I haven't been to Alabama yet. Uh, I had not been to Louisiana before going to New Orleans uh, in January. Um, But every time I've gone to Mississippi, uh, I think what it's meant to me, it's like, it really connects me to uh, strong feelings of love for the music and a sincere desire to um, pay tribute to the people who inspire me. And, um, uh, I feel like I've really felt a love for people, uh, when visiting the South, um, that I, is harder for me to access and has sort of historically been harder for me to access in my day-to-day life in Boston. Um, I feel like some of the people I've met in the South have just been so tremendously kind to me. Um, there's a, there's a kind of like way of kindness that, uh, I find, I have found sort of in my time in Boston to be sort of less something I experienced less maybe, um, 
it's hard hard to say why i mean i think music really brings people together and uh the just the music of of the american south has just spoken to me so much and the other thing i'd say about it is that whenever i've gone you know taking trips down um it is just you know it's very i think probably other massachusetts musicians i know who have gone to uh to mississippi to play there's a few i know like i think i could probably speak for the others to say that we all really feel like we try to do our very best when we get down there <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah it's inspiring and um i mean you know my mom lived in south carolina and uh i you know i've been to yeah south Car- carolina north carolina virginia but um yeah, some of the places I've gone to in the last couple of years I, I had never been to before. And, um, yeah, there's just something very, very beautiful uh, I just was just glad to get to witness. I want to ask you about this. I've, uh, I'm just running through uh, my notes for you. Is uh, Tell me about the Juke Joint Fest in Clarksdale. Mm. And I think that, uh, I think that backs it up to uh Gilbert Val uh finding out about you. Well yeah, uh I played the Juke Joint Fest last year. Um I think Gilbert found out about me from playing when I played the Deep Blues Fest in twenty eighteen. Um how does that feel? Which is um cool. being a Bostonian and like coming down to the south to represent a style of music that you're not from well i don't think of it as representing because uh i i think of it more as trying to honor a style of music i like that rather than represent it and yeah and like trying that. to honor it trying to make sure oh well um yeah i mean i'm glad that's uh that is how it feels, and I think trying not to, trying not to, uh, trying to honor it without, yeah, without kind of, I don't know what else, other word to use, like, without crossing it in any way, like, you know, like, trying to show appreciation, but I think on the other, other side of it, maybe this is kind of the, the punk rock part of me, but, you know, I still try to, um, play it. I try to play in my own way, you know, like, uh, comes from my own aesthetic, which like last year at Juke Joint included, uh, playing an electric 12 string and, um, you know, the drummer with me played, uh, played a calabash and, um, you know, also just, yeah, playing some of this stuff on like the Indian slide guitar and, um, you know, just, but trying to really honor the traditions that inspire me as a person without, without, uh, but also respecting them. And then the, I think that with the songwriting, that applies too. I feel like um, trying to write in a way that comes from my, my heart and my experience, but is uh, looking to honor what I, perceive the aesthetics of the music to be and the history of the music to be and um just trying to be considerate uh and hopefully hopefully doing that well 
Yeah, uh, Ryan, I'm already familiar with your music, but just for those listening, and you'll send a few tracks, but that leads me, uh, uh, I really respect what you do. Uh, so, thanks, thanks Alan. Uh, tell me a little bit, we haven't spent a whole lot of time here, so about the Winter Hill Blues album. Oh yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. So I I recorded Winter Hill Blues is a song that uh, I wrote a few years back, um, trying to write something in the Bentonia style. It was uh, yeah, you know, the influence of uh, Bentonia looms large in that particular song, but. Yeah, last year uh, I recorded an album with Bruce Watson um, in Memphis, and uh, I'm really proud of how that album turned out. But it's it's not out yet, and uh, uh, I'm not quite sure under what circumstances it'll come out. I hope it, it does next year. But um, yeah, I think it's funny when I was listening to. Uh, your talk with uh, Robert Connolly Farr, I had a similar experience in that after being at the, playing at the Bentonia Blues Fest last year, I went from there right to Memphis, uh, to Bruce Watson's studio, and um, we did one day there, and uh, it went well, so I, you know, I ended up going home because I was at the end of a tour, but I came back to Memphis, and I think it was three days, uh, we recorded nine or ten songs, um, and most of those I think we laid down the first day, and then uh, we spent one day mixing and um, another day just kind of experimenting with some stuff. But uh, you know, because Bruce had recorded so many of those records that inspired me, like many, many, most of the blues records that inspired me from the last. Uh, 20 or 30 years, um, he recorded almost all those albums. So it was really a thrill to get to work with him. And uh, the um, he brought two great session musicians in. Uh, George Slepik played drums, and George is like, I couldn't have asked for uh, a better drummer to work with. And um, Mark, Mark Edgar Stewart played bass, and he was great too. And he's a really good songwriter as well. And um, and on that first session, my my uh, close collaborator Grant Smith uh, from Boston played on the first first day, um, and then George and Mark played on the other two days. And um, I really felt, you know, I haven't gotten to see all that much of Memphis, but I went to Memphis I think three times last year, and um, I just loved it. I just loved being there. It's a special place. And uh, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I felt really happy about the way the Winter Hill Blues album came out, and so I hope it'll be be out next year. It was supposed to be out this fall um, on a label from Europe that I've been working with, but COVID really uh, kind of threw a wrench in a lot of things. It sure did. Um, yeah. Man, and just to talk about that album opposed to previous work, uh, just to get listeners uh, kind of energized 
about what you've done in the past. Uh, what are the differences? What did you do different? Well, I felt like Winter Hill Blues was the culmination of, um, you know, the seven or so years that I had been touring in, in Europe. Uh, a lot of that material sort of developed. Um, pro probably like half that material developed while I was going to Europe, and then the other half developed um, in those three or four trips that I took to Mississippi and uh, 2018, 2019, and um, I feel like J Jimmy's influence uh, looms large on the material, and uh, um, Robert Belfort's influence looms large uh, on the material, too. I, I didn't get to learn from Mr. Belfort at all, but the one time I got to sit and watch him play, uh, I, I was processing that for... I'm still processing that, I think. Um, Isn't that wild? And so, uh, yeah, that's it's a very wild yeah. thing. Uh, me and Robert just kind of touched on it, and uh, you and I are hitting it now. Is uh, how special it was when Jimmy Duck Holmes and those cats became available on YouTube, and then you can begin <clears throat> to ingest uh, what they're doing because it's significantly different than any other style or way of thinking about the blues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing that that resource, the YouTube, you know, I mean, I have a, I have a number of young guitar students and, um, you know, I try to say to them sometimes, uh, you have no idea how amazing it is that we can, we can watch these videos. I mean, um, it used to didn't be that way. Kid. No, I mean, I remember, you know, I remember being like probably like 15 and sitting, uh, with, with, uh, a friend of mine, I, I, a friend of mine, he's a great writer. His name is Andrew Malin Millward and he lived in Mississippi for a few years, but we grew up together in new England. Um, and so he, he introduced me to a lot of the Mississippi music too, when he was living down there. Um, but I remember when we were kids, just listening to a Robert Johnson cassette and just thinking like, how was he doing that? You know, yeah. like we didn't know about open tunings or anything. I just, you had to listen to the tape and like, there was, yeah, there was no YouTube of any kind. <laughs> um, but you know, my, yeah, my young, young students, you know, they, they don't know. They just, uh grown up with it it's amazing that we can use those resources um for sure for sure yeah. well man we are approaching an hour i don't want to hold you uh any longer than that i do have um i've got three more questions for you sure um i do want to talk and you've touched on it i do want to talk about you being a music teacher and what what are you teaching in boston uh, because i know that you represent um that bentonia style blues so well in boston uh, and i also want and this is a two-fold is uh putting bentonia on paper what i mean like and transcribing it what what does that mean ryan 
Well, you know, I started trying to write some of this stuff down this year um, simply because, I mean, uh, I know some of Skip James's material has been written down, uh, and I think very well, by Tom Feldman. Um, and I have not tried to write too much of, of Jimmy's music down, but I did make a transcription of uh, Hard Times, which I mailed to him, um, you know, just to say, like, hey, uh, I wrote, you know, I, I tried to write this down. I thought I'd send this to you, to, you know. Um, that's just something that I feel like is a nice thing to try to do because just because I care about the music and, um, you know, I don't know what, what will come of it. Uh, I haven't, I haven't transcribed really too much more of Jimmy's stuff beyond that. I guess I did, I did write an article. Um, I, I wrote an article for a magazine called premier guitar, uh, mm -hmm. on basics of the Bentonia style. Um, using some of the things uh that that jimmy has showed me um the premier guitar had covered jimmy before so uh it was nice to be able to sort of pair that with the article about his music and um and hopefully you know increase uh awareness for the blue front but you know something i started doing this year because of uh just being home and not having to plan any tours or anything um i've been teaching a group class on mondays and uh, I donate. I try. I try to transcribe songs that have not been transcribed before, to my knowledge, and then donate proceeds from the class either to the artists we study, um, or to the Blue Front, or if I can find, you know, like their descendants or anything like that. Um, so that's been like a nice way to kind of, I think. Uh, engage people and and I have a really nice group of people who uh, a couple of them have been to the to Bentonia or to the Blue Front and they're all really sweet people and so we're trying to you know to what degree we can like help chip in towards keeping the Blue Front afloat but I've written down for that group uh, we did uh, one of Jimmy's songs um, I transcribed a song by Reverend Leon Pinson. Um, Jesse May Hemphill song. Uh, it's funny, we've been doing this every week for like six or seven months, and I'm trying to think of what else we've done. We did a Robert Belfort song. Uh, Don't feel bad, uh, man. It, it's almost like yeah. uh, people asking me about you know, who's been on porch talk is, you know, it's, <laughs> there's a big collective, you know. But if I could, if I could say something else about it, um, you know, I, I mean, I've really been counting my blessings this year because I love teaching and I feel uh, that the teachers who, in a lot of ways, I was largely a self-taught musician, but um, I have been very fortunate to have a few very good teachers here and there over the years and um a couple of them you know have been exceptional exceptional world-class musicians uh, in their fields like jimmy 
um, Devashish Bhattacharya from India, who I got to spend a little time with, uh, Warren Sanders, Paul Rochelle. And um, what I took from each of these these musicians is that teaching is, uh, it's not something you do to pay the bills, which I think, you know, a gigging musician could easily treat it that way. But teaching is actually participating uh, in, in the, the passing on of music. And so that's um, the heart I take. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I take it really seriously and I thoroughly, thoroughly love doing it. Um, and so I've been lucky just to keep teaching from home this year, even though I haven't been performing. And uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's a big part of what it means to me. Like just trying to, honor the people who inspire me and help the people I care about being, I guess, you know, my students. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ryan, um, we're approaching an hour. I don't want to hold you any longer than that. I would love to have you on again because I, I haven't picked your brain as much as I would like. But, uh, cause I, I would love to talk a little bit more about the sitar and that, uh, the India style of music coming into uh, what you're doing, and we'll just put a uh, we'll just put a, a bookmark there. But uh, I have a question for you: Is best or worst on stage or off? What is the best or worst banner you've ever heard? You know, I, I, I suspected you might ask me this, and uh, I've been trying to think about it. <laughs> um, it's a big question, you know, because I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't think of such things, right? It's like it just kind of happens, and you're out. Just hold tight um, for a second. You're back now. Yeah, I can. to think about it or and I, I even wanted to go back and do some research because uh, I wanted to give you a clear answer but I, I didn't find what I was looking for but I think uh, the when I think of the musician who um, whose way of addressing an audience who I appreciate the most uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's Pandit Devashish Bhattacharya from India. And um, I really wish that I could, I could give you some direct quotes about things that he's said, but uh, he really speaks to music at the highest, highest level. And um, I have a memory of, he was in Boston here giving a concert and he, he taught a workshop for a few of us I uh, was fortunate to get to help carry his guitar on and off stage and watch the show from the stage. And uh, yeah, I really wish I could remember more about what he said that night, but the way that he spoke about music and the presence that he brought to the music, um, it just gave me a feeling of like a transcendent feeling. Mm. Um which I think the very best music of any genre 
is really, I know in my own listening, what I'm after is like a feeling of transcendence. And that is front and center with the blues and with, I think with punk rock and raga music and classical music. And I mean, any style really, I suppose, but, uh, I remember that feeling more than I remember what he said that night. And so I think that's um, a great answer. That's the answer I got. So I, I, yeah. I, I think it's valid. I, I think it's true. I think it's, I think it's golden. Um, mm. I, I like the way that it was, uh, expressed that, uh, it wasn't, yeah, the words are a big part, but it was more of what was being done. And that was kind of a uh, a special evening mm-hmm. uh, to grow, yeah. not only as a person, but as a musician, as you look for the transcendence of music and uh, what music means. I like that. Mm. Um, you know, I just, uh, I've been wanting to say for a couple minutes now, but hadn't hadn't quite found the moment but i just feel uh alan that you you know really ask such wonderful questions and uh um i can't help but feel a a resonance with how uh how it sounds to me like you relate to music too and um think about it from all these different angles and um i've just really appreciated getting to have this conversation and to be on porch talk Dude, the the pleasure is mine. Um, I was really excited about having this, and then when I uh, dug on you a little bit. So the way this works, as I'll be transparent, is I'll ask, you know, two to three people who know you. And uh, it's like, so tell me a little bit about Ryan. Don't be too personal. But uh, uh, tell me some things that uh, I should ask him to to set him off, to get him going, because a, a good journalist doesn't do all the talking. All he does is prompt, and um, I mean that's that's where uh, that's what I try to do is like uh, and when you come on again. And I hope you'll accept the invitation, maybe in person yeah. someday. Is um, yeah. you know uh, we can dig more into these topics because I love your punk rock ideals, and uh, uh, thanks. And the way that you you translate punk rock to blues the way that I do. Uh, mm-hmm. But the blues made punk rock the blues birthed punk rock mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um and uh yeah i was excited when i heard when i was listening uh to your interview with Connolly and um hearing hearing you both talk about that because uh yeah, I mean, it just goes, it just goes right to the heart of it for me. And, um, you know, I think just the, the, the thing there, it's 
just like we've been talking about already, you know, music is just the best when you're... Uh, all you can do is just be true to who you are and where you come from and, and appreciate what inspires you and, and try to do right by it. And, uh, you know, the thing, because I, you know, I, I sort of think about this all the time and try to see it from different angles, but music's potential for connecting people of all kinds from all over the world who uh, grow up in different circumstances, I mean that's just like a powerful, wonderful thing. And, uh, there is maybe, I, I just often wonder about what it means to, uh, kind of like walk that line of really feeling all kinds of music and, and letting all kinds of music speak to you. And then trying to understand how to, mm. how to respond with that, that same kind of, uh, love and respect because when you hear a piece of music and it speaks to your heart then that's you know that's that's love communicating it's already uh, done it. it's like the universal yeah um so anyway so yeah it's really nice to be able to talk about different kinds of music from different angles well cool man i do want to yeah. plug you and like i say i would love to have you back on sometime again to further pick yeah, your brain you. but uh Please plug uh, the different ways that people can get involved with you on social media and where your music is. Yeah, thanks. Um, I uh, I am s sort of on and off social media. Um, I mean, my pages are always there. I'm not always there, but uh, my website is ryanleecrosby.com and uh, I have music and videos there and um, if anyone would like to you know participate in uh, you know I teach a couple of group classes you can sign up there but uh, I have a Facebook page um, facebook.com Ryan Lee Crosby music and uh, I'm on YouTube and um, I'm on Instagram too uh, but uh, yeah I don't I don't I don't post all the time because sometimes I just want to play guitar, I guess. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, ryanleecrosby.com and, and uh, yeah, you can find me. Oh, oh, ryanleecrosby.bandcamp.com. I've been sometimes putting music up on Bandcamp this year that uh -huh. I don't put anywhere else. Um, and I plan to do more of that. I've been doing a lot of recording at home, so uh, awesome. I'll probably be putting up some. That's been the thing yeah, about 2020. exclusive stuff. I, um, if, if you'd like to hear it, I can maybe send you something. I haven't really shared it with anyone yet. I sent Gilbert a couple of songs yesterday, but, uh, I basically recorded like a whole other record on a four track cassette recorder, um, over the last couple months. And, uh, I'm sort of in the finishing stages of, of that. Um, yeah. I thought maybe I'd put it up in camp if you want to hear something. I'd love to hear it, dude. Yeah, um, and if you have anything, I would love to hear your music too. So if, if uh, you, I think you have my email address now, where I can give it to you. Yeah, I I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send some stuff. Um, yeah, let's do this. Is um, we're walking the way out the door. I'm gonna be sitting at the Blue Front Cafe tomorrow. If there was oh, cool. anything, this is off the cuff. 
that you would ask Jimmy Duck Holmes, what would you ask? Hmm. I mean, I sort of have a uh, an informal list of things that I hope to ask him about when I see him next, but I think if, if I know that you're going to be there tomorrow, uh, probably what I would most want to say is just, to, you know, um, just to let him know that, uh, you know, I'm thinking about him whenever I pick up my guitar and uh, that I just hope he's doing well and I can't wait to come back to Bentonia next year. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time. And um, that's been another episode of Porch Talk. I'd love to have you on again sometime. Yeah, thank you, Alan. It's been an honor to be on the show. And um, yeah, thank you so much for your very thoughtful questions and very enjoyable conversation. Um, this was really, really fun. News and notes. Thank you so much for listening to Porch Talk. If you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the show on whatever podcast app it is that you listen to on. It helps a lot with the algorithms as far as people finding it. But what works better than that is uh, word of mouth. Uh, you telling a buddy. And if you happen to know somebody you think would be good for the show, uh, send them my way. Uh, Porch Talk 115 at Gmail. That's an email that you can reach me at. Uh, porch-talk.net there's a contact form and you can also reach us on all our social medias Uh, that's a very good way as well Uh, special thanks to Gilbert Val for helping make this happen and I want to tell you a little bit about what we have going on on the Porch Talk Facebook page this Friday December 18th at 7pm Central Standard Time Spencer Thomas who recently moved to Athens will be doing a live stream very it's going to be a very good looking thing it's going to be at portico uh studios there and if you feel so led to give uh we're doing donations for lovecraft they do a lot of great things for children and the mentally disabled in the area so if you are in that christmas cheer and you want to get involved in uh, something cool that's going on in Athens, you can give. All right, so the opening track that you heard was Hard Times. We're going to walk it on out the door now with Winter Hill Blues. Peace out. Thank you.
purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.